Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It's Carrie Newhoff here, and I'm joined by David Kinneman. It's been a minute since we've been together on this show, hasn't it? It has, Carrie. It's good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you, too. We've been running uh, parallel tracks, but uh, great to be together again. And um, yeah, what a new season we find ourselves in. I don't even know what to call this season. I've been trying to figure that out. Like, what mm. moment are we in right now, David? I don't know. Boy, uh, well, I think we're in recording a podcast moment, but oh yeah, that's than, a good uh, point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair. Uh, fair. No, I feel like I feel like um, I keep hearing from church leaders this um, this real sense of you know the exhaustion is starting to to, to move background. I mean, there's so many people that are just so tired and and work so yeah. hard. You know, here we are in um, kind of the the middle of 2022, and I think you know the summer for me feels um, like something of a more normal summer, you know, the last mm-hmm. couple 2020 mm-hmm. and 2021 felt unusual. And I think a lot of leaders was just up speaking to a group of Lutheran pastors in Portland and, you know, recognizing that they, um, yeah, they just need encouragement. They need new ideas. They need, they need f- friendships. They need a nap. <laughs> they need a nap. Yeah. And so, you know, I feel like, um, we're all, we're all, you know, kind of, I think settling into some new, you know, new rhythms and new realities. And, uh, you know, I think it's good. I think there's still, you know, questions around the economy and questions around, you know, the impact of the global war and, and, you know, gas prices and, or the, the, the war in Ukraine and kind of the impact on, on the globe that the, the conflict in Ukraine will you have. Said global and, war, David, I should have read the paper. I'm sorry about that. I missed the news right, today. Right. Yeah. Well, global implications <laughs> yeah. of the war. I then, know what you mean. Then, uh, I know, but it does feel like a global conflict. Yeah. The, 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 how that's going to affect yeah. hunger and yeah. food supply, uh, especially yeah. in, in Africa. Um, so I think there's, there's just a lot that, you know, as, as is the case, um, there's a lot that's going on. And then, you know, for us as leaders to sort of be head down and make the, the next right choice and the next right choice yeah. and keep our hearts in the right place. Yeah, I think that's true. And I mean, our friend uh, Mark Sayers calls it the gray zone, which I think is Mm -hmm. relatively apt. And, you know, there is a sense where I think the personal exhaustion is one thing, and maybe some leaders are overcoming that now. But I wonder if there's like a collective exhaustion. It's like, where, where are the headlines that are encouraging? It just seems wherever you look, you're getting hit with something somehow. So, yeah, yeah, uh, we are going to spotlight in on an issue that, uh, well, I'm really glad we're going to address. Our guest is Lisa Bevere, and I'm really looking forward to doing an interview with her. But uh, David, you've been doing some research onto um, women and the church, and you've got some stats you'd love to share with leaders today. Yeah, I'd be happy to, um, and looking forward to hearing from Lisa today. Um, so we want to talk about discipleship and spiritual growth, and we find in a research that only 36% of Christians, only one-third, believe that one-on-one discipleship relationships are very important for spiritual growth. And I think that's a, a very telling statistic. Um, there's, a, hmm. a real, there's a real sense that people like to go alone in discipleship, that it's a solo activity, and in particular then, that's expressed in the notion that one-on-one discipleship relationships 
uh, are very important to only one third of Christians. So that's one one aspect of of the set of problems that I think we have. Hmm. I think another another interesting stat is that about half of Christians consider their spiritual life to be entirely pri- private, and that again gets to this notion of kind of the lone wolf perspective of uh, discipleship. And how did you see that show up in in your leadership of, of a church? Like, how did you sort of combat the notion that discipleship was meant to be done alone? You know, it's interesting to hear you go through that. I go back to my childhood, and I just assumed that's how you did it. And it was all centered on the quiet time, right? As long as you had a good quiet time, you were doing discipleship. And I imagine, like, obviously, we've had groups, we've been in groups for years, that kind of stuff. But yeah, we seem to have a crisis of discipleship, but I think that's still out there. And there has to be a personal responsibility. But in some of the interviews I've done, even with, you know, non-Christian thinkers, they're trying to reclaim the role of community. Daniel Pink, in his latest book, The Power of Regrets, talks about the power of confessing your regrets to another person. I'm like, like, you know, that's biblical, right? (laughs) That's right there, right? But the culture is grasping, I think, at community because we're so isolated individually. I don't know. Did you grow up with this idea, David, that, that discipleship was communal? Yeah, I think I, I think I had a pretty healthy mix of of the idea of quiet times and pers- personal devotional activities, but but also kind of in the context of of groups and others. So, mm. um, I think across the board, you know, we're eager to see new forms of discipleship and and old forms of discipleship gain traction. I think that's part of the reason we wanted to z- zero in on this topic today. Um, and, you know, we're living in a more distractive age with screens and with devices. Um, we find in the research that 47% of Christian women say that they often get distracted when trying to spend time with God. Um, and, um, for 40% of men. Yeah, it's crazy, but I mean, it's not a huge statistical difference, but there is, there is a bit of a difference there. Women are more likely to at least perceive that. And then in terms of, um, this other aspect, another barrier for discipleship, for women is that 73% of Christian women say they have been hurt by someone who they deeply trusted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that compares to only 56% of men. Now, may- maybe men are just like, they're just, they didn't even realize that they got, <laughs> that they got, uh, you know, disillusioned. But, uh, but among women, that idea of disappointment and hurt with other relationships is more common. So that's another aspect that I think we've got to work through. And, and we've actually seen this with younger people. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's some, some, work we've been doing in terms of like developing deep and resilient relationships in the mm-hmm. church, we actually find that one of the most important ways to disciple young people, and I would think this would be true among young women, is to help prepare them to be disillusioned and disappointed. And because it's like, it's just the nature of the way human relationships work. Now, there's a fine line here because we're not saying, hey, get used to the dark side of abuse or gaslighting mm. or mm. you know the the kind of gender dynamics that I think especially women can often be be subjected to um and, and so it's like well just be, just like your leaders are going to let you down like don't worry about it no it's it's the sense though that that in the church you're going to come across situations and people and leadership and um you know conflict and to prepare ourselves for what it means to be uh, you know, people of peace, a, a non-anxious presence, to, to use Mark Sayer's phrase, um, and and to to help people sort of grapple with disillusionment. I actually think um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, is such a great 
uh, treatise on that notion that you know you're gonna you're gonna find that people in the community disappoint you, and that's actually a really good thing because you're he calls them your pipe dreams of Christian community of of sort of these kumbaya moments like you know the actual work happens when you're when you're when you're disillusioned when you're realizing that it's God's grace that's sufficient not just the relationships around you. But anyway, I think mm. I think this mm. idea of helping to unpack and deal with hurt, I think it's a big part of. Um, you know, we talked here at the outset of our of our little conversation about where pastors are, and I actually think the hurt that many leaders feel about these last few years is really important to deal with, to deal with effectively, to confess our regrets, to confess like these moments where we feel we've been disappointed by those that have left the church or who who hmm. let us down. And I think I think for all of us as leaders to do that good heart work is really really important. Well, there's still an untangling. You know, as much as the intensity of the crisis has waned a little bit, I think the impact of the crisis probably continues. And Barna's got some cohorts that you're forming, one in particular, which is really interesting, and that is the Resilient Pastor. It's a six-month cohort and uh, starts this fall, and it'll help you grow as a resilient leader. I've loved the work that Glenn Packiam has done on this in connection with Barna, and he's put together a cohort led by people like Glenn himself, also Danielle Strickland, Sharon Hade-Miller, Rich Velotis, Ashley Island, and Scott Sauls. So a pretty stellar cast there of mentors and leaders. And if you're interested, you go to barna.com slash pastor cohort. That's barna.com slash pastor cohort. And to get a discount, you can use the code CPW15, CPW15 to get 15% off. So I'm, I'm grateful you're doing that because I, I look back on my own life, David, and it's the time I've been in community that's kind of been the glue that's really held my leadership together. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Um, and uh, I think for all of us as leaders, you know, like this, this is a, a type of learning community that we can be honest with each other. We can learn together. We can be uh, equipped for the next stage of the journey that God has us uh, on and, and our team and and Glenn, they've done just a stellar job of putting uh, this faculty together, and uh, it's going to be a great, uh, great community to learn to learn alongside. Uh, and if this isn't the, quite the right cohort for you, that's that's awesome. Just we're we're here to encourage you to be resilient, to grow in friendship, to um, you know to uh, acknowledge the ways God's working in your life. And um, and again, for all of us, like we can't hope to be the disciple makers unless we ourselves are being discipled. And, you know, those are the kinds of things we want to talk also with, uh, with Lisa today. Well, let's get to the conversation with Lisa. Lisa Bevere is an internationally known speaker and the New York Times bestselling author of Godmothers Without Rival, Girls with Swords, and Lioness Arising. She co-hosts the Conversations podcast with John and Lisa Bevere. That's her husband, John, and hosts the Godmother podcast. Uh, and, um, well... Without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Lisa Bevere. Lisa, welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to be with you. Yeah, we worked at this episode, didn't we? So I'm glad I'm glad it actually worked out. Just technical difficulties. Uh, yeah, the Chrome challenge. Yeah, yeah. So you and your husband, John, have done a lot of work around discipleship through your ministry, Messenger International. Um, in your view, do you, do you think the church has a crisis in discipleship? Absolutely. I think that we've kind of adopted the wrong pattern. We've kind of made it have come to church, you know, and the pastor says, and I will disciple you. Mm. We didn't necessarily let the people in the church 
disciple others. And it's interesting because the fivefold ministry is to perfect the saints for the saints to do the work of the ministry. Yeah. But we kind of just say, I'm working in the ministry and you guys are watching me work. So I do think that there's a lot of well, fear, like, do I even know how to disciple anybody else? What if I make a mistake? Am I equipped? I'll just bring people to church. And so it really limits our ability to reach people on a, a wider spread level. So, you know, John and I, we have an app and the first goal was we're going to give it to leaders. And then we thought, why are we only giving it to leaders? We need to give it to everyone mm. that wants to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's really interesting, you know, because being a Protestant myself and, and an evangelical, although it's dangerous to say that these days, um, you know, we say, well, you don't want a priestly idea of ministry where the priest does all the work. But in some ways, that's what we've ended back up with, isn't it? Or do you see a difference there? I feel like we are, we've approached it. And I think that God is shaking that. Mm. I, I think that God is saying, all right, here's what's going to happen. There are beautiful, amazing things about the church. And then there's things that it's not sustainable. Mm. It's too hard on the leaders. It's too hard on the people. It's too hard on the structure. And I think it's, it's a good change. So, you know, for me, I'm excited about empowering other women, no matter what their walk of life is, and discipling them. So it seems like they think, oh, well, am I allowed to do that? I mean, I'm, I'm a woman in the marketplace. Am I allowed to disciple people? Well, that is actually how the gospel spreads, and how you live that out in front of people says a lot. So I had a, 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 a call with some women right before I got on with you, and all of them are business women, and they want to be disciple. They want to know what does it look like to live out Jesus Christ in my everyday life. Well, the math is better on that, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, one, one to a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 versus a hundred or a thousand to 10,000 to other people, like the multipliers get a lot more powerful. But let's, let's go back to leaders for a minute because you raised it. You know, we have deconversion apparently happening in waves. We've got, and, and this sickens me, leader after leader turns out we're involved in scandals or completely inappropriate behavior, financial, sexual, you name it. And every time we think, okay, that's it, right? It's not it. Yes, everybody's come clean. Everyone, we're all this done, right? And it's like, no, it's not done. And it's like, oh, are you kidding me? And do you, I'm not looking for exculpatory reasons or to let anyone off the hook. I'm not into that. But like, do you think the pressure that we put on leaders is unnatural and unsustainable? and maybe even ungodly? Like, do you think some of that is a factor? Or maybe I'm way off. No, I think it's definitely a factor. And I also think that we do them a great disservice by positioning them to be more than one person could actually carry. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. Here's Moses. He's the deliverer. And he's leading the people. And yes, he's got Aaron speaking for him, and he's got Miriam prophesying. But his father-in-law, Jethro, comes to him and says, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. You're going to weary yourself. You're going to wear yourself out. And so it's it's a mistake on both sides. And so I really believe that uh, there needs to be some things that need to be deconstructed, but not destroyed. And I think we don't know how to do that balance well. And so I think people go the wrong way for the right thing. So, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I, I can't let down this facade that I have all of the answers. 
And then all of a sudden they're in drugs or affairs or, you know, embezzlement. So yeah, it's, it's, I think there's, there's a twofold mess on that. So you, you said something there, deconstructed without being D what? Destroyed. Destroyed. Yeah. Yes. Talk more about that. So, you know, and again, I, it's so funny. I'm 62, but I get invited to speak at youth conferences. Mm. I think they're like, let's just bring in a Sicilian grandmother. Let's just throw <laughs> her in the mix. And I'll talk to them and I'll say, do you understand that your generation is the first generation to actually have this kind of opportunity to do that something? And they actually know that God has his hand on their life for something. They don't know what that thing is. So they're so busy looking at what everybody else's thing is, and they're becoming critics instead of constructors. Mm. So I am really, I've been married for 40 years this year. The first four years of my marriage, I could tell you everything wrong about my husband. (laughs) He needs to do this better, this better, this better. And maybe I was right, but I had things in my own life to deal with. And I was so busy looking at what they weren't doing that I was missing what I was called to do. And I do believe, you know, taking all the weird out of it, a generation anointed to prophesy means to speak under divine inspiration have settled for criticizing. They're, they're going to criticize everything. And it, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of skill to take something apart, but to invent it and be able to put it back together. I think that is where we're going to need the old and the young, the male and the female, the visions and the dreams. And I think a lot of people are hurting right now and wanting someone or something to blame. Yeah, that's really interesting. So kind of a fresh angle on it from where I sit, which is, I think you're right. This is a generation that for the first time in history has the power to destroy and appears to enjoy doing it. Um, Now, that's not, it's not like it's all 25-year-olds ripping down 55-year-olds. You see 50-year-olds piling on as well. What is the reaction to that message when you share it with the next generation? What is their response? Well, I think it makes them think. You know, and people are like, well, Jesus flipped over the tables. And I said, well, it was his table to flip. Mm. Like, you go ahead and flip your own table. Figure out what you've built that needs to be deconstructed. You know, I kind of took the pandemic as a chance for me to deal with any idols in my own life. And when I say it's an idol, it's something I'm giving my strength to, drawing my strength from outside of God. And so when God pushes a generation of people in the wilderness, they can either pursue God or get mad at Moses. And I feel like we're kind of following that same pattern of the children of Israel. You know, we're like, hey, Moses, what'd you do? Bring us out here to die? You've made a mess. Why are we here? Instead of saying, all right, let's seek God because what we're doing right now isn't what we should be doing. And there's a lot of stuff that needs to be shaken all the way down to elimination, but not everything and not everyone. And, you know, I've, I have the young people I think when you're an older woman, they see you as a mother, Mm. they'll come up to me and they'll say, I know that God has his hand on my life for something significant, but I have no idea what it is. And I tell them, I said, you will never discover what you're called to do in the presence of people. I'm just a little old school here. You discover what you're called to do in the presence of God. Mm. And you need sacred space in your life. You need to put that phone down. You need to walk outside. 
You need to look at the stars. You know, John and I have been in the ministry for almost 40 years now. And we had this privilege, Kara, of hosting this super old timer. I was terrified of him. He was probably in his 70s when Hmm. I was 24. And I remember he told John and I, he said, I'm going to take you two out for breakfast. I want to talk to you. When I thought, what? What's wrong? Do I have something wrong in my life? And he said, I want to share with you. He said, I had a vision. And he said, I saw a generation coming up that would be controlled by a box they can hold in their hands. And I, this is 1984. Whoa. And I'm thinking, bless his heart. He's got senile. Oh. But look at, look what's going on right now. We're allowing a world we can hold in our hands to actually control our emotions, control our response. And, and there's, I love that this world can be intimate and connected, you know, on, on wide range. But what we are doing is we are not stewarding our words or our actions well. And we've gotten really used to throwing stones at people we'll never see. Hmm. Yeah, and and forgetting that we all live in glass houses and, and that perhaps there's yep. some confession that needs to happen as well. Which is really interesting. Wow, that feels like it could be an hour on its own. But uh, I'm taking notes. Okay, let's talk about discipleship (laughs) again. Um, You know, a lot of people have been trying to do discipleship for years. And in fact, I think if you look at the last decade, you can say, you know, the 90s, 2000s were about evangelism, evangelism, and evangelism. And there's a lot in the next gen who are like, well, we're all about discipleship. And yet the verdict on discipleship as evidenced by the overwhelming swell of people not returning to church and deconstructing their faith and disengaging from Christianity. We seem to still struggle there. So apart from the challenge of having the leader do it all, what are some of the other challenges associated with the lack of discipleship or poor discipleship? Well, I also think there's been a huge breakdown between what we say and how we live. Mm. I mean, the truth is my children don't follow what I say. They follow what I modeled. And same thing with my grandkids. So when I actually, I feel like there's been a shift. I would even say, when you talk about discipleship, I feel like maybe five years ago, the questions were, how do I do what you're doing? Mm. And I was like, well, what am I doing? Oh, I want to write books. I want to travel and speak. That's what I want to do. Well, all right. What has God done? See, they actually didn't really want to know how to live it. They wanted to know how to actually, you know, maximize it, monetize it, uh, get get the exposure on it. And so now I have found that when young women come to me, they're going to ask me, how did you do ministry and marriage? How did you do motherhood? How, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't even know if anybody cares about my books anymore. They want to know how I raised four young men who love God and love John and I. That's basically all they want to know. They want to know, how did you and John not go crazy? How did you and John, like, how, how have you, uh, and again, John and I have not done it perfectly. And I'll be the first person to admit that. But I would say that we've learned to do it well because every single day, Going back to what you were talking about, people are either examples or object lessons. Mm. And we have the ability to learn and and say, how did that happen? And so we were just with a, a beautiful pastoral couple last uh, yesterday, and we talked to them and we said, they said, how do, how do, they're like, how do I keep from messing up? Because we all know people mm. who started out smart and ended up stupid. 
Discipleship is starting out stupid and ending up smart and understanding that the greatest platform that you and I will ever live on is our life. So how I love my husband, how I love my children, how I receive correction, how I am accountable to other people, people that know me, people that have my phone number, people that ask me the questions that I don't want to answer and tell me the things I don't want to hear. That is discipleship. So when somebody asks me if they want to, they can pick my brain, that's not discipleship. If somebody says, I want you to share with me all the things you learned the hard way so that I don't have to make the same mistakes, that is following me as I followed Christ. And then I point out, well, this is where I didn't do it. So that's, you know, Paul was always saying to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm. So if there was areas of his life where he wasn't doing it well, he would say like, yeah, that, that was a moment. Don't, don't do that. And I think right now, we don't have enough in-person, face-to-face conversations and accountability. Hmm. What? So you say the question has shifted in the last five years, five years ago-ish. It was about, how do I get a book? How do I get a book deal? How do I speak? How do I make money? And now it's like, how do I not blow my life apart? Like what? That is, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. So what, how do what I, accounts? I don't want to end up divorced. I don't, you know, I, I think we've seen a lot of people that we looked at and said, want her life. I want their life. And then we're like, no, I don't. No, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't. I was, I was, Off it goes, I was right? Pursuing, yeah. I was pursuing that. And then I realized that I was only seeing what they showed me. And am I living that same way? Am I living to be popular? And, or am I living to be influential? Because influential means powerful, but popular means trendy. And you and I, I know I'm older than you, but we've been around long enough to Mm -hmm. see there's things that are trendy that are no longer trendy. Yeah, and trends change every 13 seconds now. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. So I think people people that were asking me today, what are your spiritual disciplines? Mm -hmm. Lisa, how do you pray? When do you pray? How, you know, what what are you reading right now? I, I didn't get those questions five years ago. What are you and John doing to grow your marriage? You know, what are you doing with your kids? How do you have the hard conversations in this social climate? You know, and I've told him, I said, well, my kids basically, you know, when we were having the hard conversations, whether what was going on in the culture, I said, you know, I would say one thing, but my kids were like, you're a mom. So I would bring in other people. And I would, over the dinner table, we would listen to people who are way smarter than me have discussions, and then we would have discussions, you know. And so John and I are first-generation Christians, which means we made a whole lot of mistakes. You know, one of our sons was like, you guys were so ridiculous about secular music. And he said, you like arouse that sin nature in me. But I was like, I'm so sorry. We were idiots. We were doing what we thought was right. But, you know, hopefully when you know to do better, you do better. And I think a lot of times there needs to be a little bit of mercy and grace. And I can open up my life and say, hey, knowing what you don't want to do isn't enough it, you have to know how to do what you do want to do. Because, you know, my parents were divorced, remarried, divorced again. So I thought, I, I don't want to do that. But that doesn't mean I knew how to love someone well. Wow. That doesn't mean I knew how to navigate conflict. 
And so, you know, we did a, a marriage one night and, and that's what we opened up with, you know, opened up about when John went through his struggles with pornography, how I handled that, how I mishandled certain things. When, when he went through dealing with a wife who had, you know, grown up with a lot of abuse, the anger disengaged from my father, how did I rebuild intimacy? People, I find this next generation wants to know how to do relationships well. How do you, uh, what are you learning about um, digital discipleship making? Or is that even a thing? Can you do it? I mean, you launched an app. I'm going to assume there's something. Yes. Yes. Well, we absolutely do think that. And, you know, we, I think we share the friend, uh, Dave Addison. Yeah. So I I love love the whole meta church. Yes. I love him. You know, so John and I do find that we think it should be an entrance not not an end place. Mm. And so many people that are isolated, you know, we're, we're always thinking about nations. We have 116 languages on our app. And when we first launched it, we thought uh, that we were going to only do overseas for free. And then, you know, John looked at me and he said, you know, I'd never go to a church that charged me at the front door. Mm. He said, I'm going to, I want I want to give it to everyone for free. And he said, our country is hurting so bad right now. So I think we're, we have 40 more languages than YouTube has. They're the, they're the second to us. Um, but we just said, all right, we, they need to have a story of marriage in Arabic. They need to have it in Farsi. Then we thought, well, we can't just do books. We can't, we've got to do audiobooks because some women in, in the Arabic speaking language in nations, they're never taught to read. So they need to be able to hear things. And so we just we just thought, well, we're going to put things on there from how to handle money, how to handle marriage, to find your calling and seeking God and prayer and sin. We just said, let's throw it wide like a library. And so we believe that's a tool, but that's not a community. So how, if I can ask a really technical question, because I imagine I'm not the only one yep. asking it, how do you fund that? How do you fund an app that's free to everybody with all that translation other than install Google Translate, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. No, yeah, yeah no, you lose too much of the nuances. Yeah, no, that was the question I asked my husband. He's like, how <laughs> do we find that? And that was my panic. Um, so we actually went to different people and said, this is what we're thinking of doing. And there were so many people that said, we are all about discipling the nation. So kingdom investors. We understand Kingdom investors. Yeah. There was a few churches. Um, and, and the truth is for the last, this will be our 13th year that we've been giving away resources. So we were giving away physical resources and translating our materials uh, from English to whatever that country would be for years. So all we had to do was upload some of that. But yeah, it gets a little crazy because you've got, you know, languages that are right to left and left to right. And then John and I are overdubbed in Arabic, Farsi, Urdu, Tajik. I mean, all these different languages because we feel like people don't inhabit lands, they inhabit languages. Mm. And so when the borders were closed, we were already there. And it was so crazy because we started the app before the pandemic. So we, you know, we just felt like kingdom people, kingdom-minded people, they just said, we, we want to do this. And it's just been beautiful. And then we did not charge, but there are people that are, that are able to give and, and some give. 
And, you know, but it makes it so that those could never give can still have access to it. That's one of the great hidden stories of what's happening right now is I know so many leaders who have gathered not like, you know, 10,000 here or whatever, but literally millions and sometimes tens of millions of dollars from Christians who have done well in the marketplace who are like, yeah, we'll just get behind it. And it's such a cool story and it operates behind the scenes a lot. So I would just offer that out to any church pastor who thinks there's no money for a vision, there's money for a vision. You just got to go find it. Um, Okay. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about the challenges. You've been a huge advocate for women over the years. As you look into the future church, what are some of the opportunities and what are some of the challenges that still remain for the women that you have the privilege of serving? Yes. So it's interesting that you would ask that. You know, recently I was revisiting this encounter with Jesus and the uninvited woman. He's in the presence of the Pharisees. Simon's like, if he really was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman that was. It's incredibly awkward. It's not an elephant in the room. It's a harlot in the room. They don't know what to do. And then I love how the message paraphrase sets it up. It says, looking at the woman, but speaking to Simon. Hmm. And, and when I read that, Carrie, I thought, wait hmm. a minute. We're arguing with the Pharisees. We women should just be engaged with what Jesus is asking of us, just anointing his body and and just thinking, why am I wasting my time asking permission of people who don't even want me in the room when Jesus is telling me, go into all the world and make disciples? I also remember reading in the book of Acts where it talked about how they forbid Peter and John to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And they said, well, should we obey you or God. And I felt like a whole generation of women have been called back and forbidden to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And some of them, instead of just saying, well, we're going to obey God, they've gotten mad at those that we've tried to stop them. They've got engaged in arguments and it's wasted their time. They've gotten angry. And so we have to say, does the wrath of man or a woman does that work the righteous purposes of God? Well, it feels good in the moment, but I don't know if it's really moving it forward. So I have found that I feel like God is taking women in churches, places where they are saying, we're going to build the women because the Bible says wise women build the house, wise men build their women. They say, we want the voice of mothers in this house. We don't, we don't want you to have to act like a man. We want you to act like a mother. We want you to act like a woman. They're, they're celebrating that. I don't think there needs to be contention. I don't think that there needs to be, this is our turn. Jesus always dealt in times. He didn't say, I'm going to sit one person down to put another person up. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, all flesh. That means he's going to pour it on the people. I don't think he should. That means he's going to pour down on people that I, I'm like, I don't even like them. But when God begins to do something, we need to take our hands off of it. I also feel like women are being motivated and moved into the marketplace because after this encounter with Jesus and Simon and the, the harlot woman, the very next chapter says, and many women began to follow Jesus and fund his ministry. Mm. There's just something about when God says, Carrie, do this. And people are like, no, Carrie, no, <laughs> you, you have to make a decision. And I'm, I, I appreciate your concerns, but I've, I've got to be obedient. 
And I think us as women, we need, we need to stop fighting for something we've already been granted. Ooh, that's a good word. That's a really good word, Lisa. So you just released a new book. It came out, I think, in May, right? Called Fiercely yes. Loved. Um, what does it yes. look like for pastors who are listening to this to share the message of a fiercely loving God with the people they're shepherding and they're preaching to? Because almost every pastor I know right now is exhausted, depleted, feels like they're still kind of walking on pins and needles. And for most cases, the future is still fuzzy. So what, how, do, how do they bring a love, like a, a, rela- a, a message about a fiercely loving God to a church in a milieu like this? Well, I think pastors need the message as well. I I think most people feel fiercely judged Mm. and they need to have a revelation of fierce love. And a a fierce love is a love that fights for you to actually be everything that God created you to be. And I think that it's, it's time that we change the way we think God is thinking about us. You know, we were recently at the beach and I watched as one of my granddaughters tried to flip a bucket of sand over to make a sandcastle. And I forgot you have to have like the right proportion of sand and water. And she kept flipping it. And I watched just just a couple grains were trickling down. And I thought, God says in Psalm 139 that his thoughts towards us were precious, Mm. treasured, good, innumerable. I would, it would be difficult for me to number the sands in that bucket, but I could look up and down that beach and it would be more than that. And then David goes on to say, and when I wake, you are still with me. Mm. I think we need to hear about a love that is constant, that is good, that is treasured, treasured thoughts of innumerable. And I think we need to realize that if God loves you is white noise. It's because you've heard it, but never experienced it. Or it's been a really long time since you've experienced it. Oh, that's a word. I mean, talk about a summer project, right? <laughs> that's a that's a good yeah. word to sit in for a little while and reacquaint ourselves with it. Any final word of encouragement for leaders today, Lisa? Yeah, well, I believe our best days are before us. Yeah. I believe that God is shaking and he is sifting like he is panning for gold. Mm-hmm. And I believe the things that he is removing are the things that we actually long to have removed in our life. And once the sifting and the shaking is done, he's going to begin to shift positions for us. And I, I think we're going to be positioned for God to pour out his spirit. Mm-hmm. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, speaking of resilience, Barna is offering the Resilient Pastor Cohort, led by Glenn Packiam. Um, It's going to start this fall, but you can register right now. We'll give you 15% off if you use the code CPW15, CPW15 at barna.com slash pastor cohort. And you're going to connect with fellow pastors, discuss the challenges of church leadership. That will take a long time to discuss and develop a data-driven understanding of the latest trends. Faculty include Glenn Packiam, Danielle Strickland, Sharon Hade-Miller, Rich Velotis, Ashley Island, and Scott Saul. So just go to barna.com slash pastor cohort. Use the code CPW15, get 15% off. And hey, listeners, just to let you know, the next episode is the last one for this season. Yeah, we've been running two years too. So July and August of 2022, look back to the archive. You'll find some fascinating interviews with people like Lisa Bevere and many, many others. 
Uh, you can go back. There's some timeless ones, some timely ones. And then uh, we'll let you know what's happening in the fall moving forward too. So uh, look for that. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.